Well, everybody has a Christmas sermon, so today you're going to get my Halloween sermon, which is not much of a Halloween sermon, talking about Halloween itself, but uh, Jesus Christ, destroyer of demons, or I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Um, well, if he's destroyed the demons, why do we still have demons? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. It's coming. Um, it's Halloween. Some people regard this day as a time to be careful and think about the spooky evil in the world, i.e. they kind of get scared or they ascribe more power to evil than they probably should. Um, people look at this day as a day of ensnaring young souls and pagan ideas and origins. People will debate what American Halloween is. Frankly, it doesn't matter. It's another day. Um, and I think that because it's another day and because people's minds go there, let's talk about the real power in this realm. And let's talk about what Jesus has done and what he's going to do to all the evil forces uh, for eternity. And I want to get into what I think I believe um, our most important role in spiritual warfare is. And it may be different. We talk about spiritual warfare. People, a lot of people think about just prayer. Um, a lot of people think about um, casting out of demons, and I think it can be a lot of different things, but I think there's one thing we always miss when we, when we talk spiritual warfare, and so that's kind of what I'd like to get into today. Um, we covered a bunch of this demon business earlier this year. We looked into the biblical origins of evil. Um, we looked at let Satan, demons, and the idea of rulers, principalities, and power. Um, Satan being the, the name we gave to the original rebel back in Genesis 3, the serpent. Um, and then what he wrought was separation and death. We talked about Genesis 6 and the demons uh, and depravity spread on earth, the unclean spirits that arise from that. I'm not going to go too much into these because we, we spent a lot of time there. And then we talked about rulers, principalities, and powers, Genesis 11. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 talks about the authorities and how they eventually become evil. And we kind of concluded what we were saying with Jesus' years as a man and then with his death. Um, and to just kind of cruise through that again, we know that Jesus was consistently casting out, casting out the demonic. Um, we know that he teaches and gives authority to believers to deal with the demonic even before he's dead, resurrected, resurrected and ascended. I think that that's important to realize there is power that we will get, and we'll talk about that today, with the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. But there was also power that he handed out uh, to the, when he sent out the 70, or they sent out the 72, depending on the text that you read. Um, and they were able to do the casting out of demons and the healing um, even, before, even before the main event in Jesus' life. Um, we talked a bit earlier about why uh, the title of Son of David is important. We had talked about the gates of hell uh, and the trans transfiguration and the baiting out of the evil forces that Jesus did. Uh, the crucifixion of Jesus with death overthrown, sin taken care of, and a way back in. And today I want to extend this now that, you know, now that we're at the point where Jesus' Jesus' death, let's talk about what's next and what that has to do with the evil spiritual forces that remain on the earth. 
Um, so, so we took care of the sin problem. We talked about Genesis 3. We talked about the separation and sin and death. Um, so I took that off our list of things that we would look at. Um, we talked a bit about demons, the Nephilim spirits, those of the leftover Nephilim, the spirits that still roam around. We saw how Jesus reacted to those during his ministry um, when he was just swatting them back and forth, and then he gave authority and power for believers while he was still here to do the same. Today, we're going to look specifically at authorities, rulers, powers, different words that Paul uses um, to talk about those rulers that were still in positions of power. Um, And looking at the origin of Genesis 11 and 32, we kind of talked about that, Tower of Babel. God gives the nations over to rulers. The rulers eventually are corrupted. Um, for references, you can go to Genesis 11 and Deuteronomy 32 for that. So that's just all stuff that we talked about earlier this year. So I don't want to spend a lot of time there. What I do want to talk about is we're at a point um, where Jesus has died, and he has resurrected, and he has ascended to heaven. And each of those actions carries with it weight. Each of those actions carries with it spiritual happenings, um, things that we are now inheriting and have inherited. I want to look at Ephesians 1. Um, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated, seated him at the right hand in heavenly places? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but, is, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits all in all. Now, what I'd like to focus on is we'll talk Great Commission a little bit later. We've talked about it before a lot this year. But Jesus, when he comes back, he says, all authority has been given to me. And Paul is really bringing this home right now, that authority. When he says, he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The right hand right there next to the Father, sitting enthroned above all. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That is specifically talking about those evil spiritual forces that, are, that remain on earth. Now, if we were to just read this, we would think that he is above those, which is 100% correct. But the Bible goes on to explain that not only is he above those, but he has also nullified their power. So let's look at that. Colossians 2, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, 
who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So before, when we saw Ephesians, he made it very clear that he's above those powers. Um, Colossians 2 takes it a step further, and it relays to us the fact that not only is he above those powers, but he has also disarmed those powers. Meaning he's, we are not, their weapons will not be successful against him. They no longer have power over their regions. That authority has been taken. Why has the authority been taken? Because of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, and sitting at the right hand of the Father where all authority lies. They no longer have any kind of legal authority. So, they're still doing stuff, right? Um, we'll talk about that. 1 Corinthians 15, just again to, to, to bring home the points. Um, not just taking verses, but trying to take whole sections so you can see that it fits. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also uh, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has also put, has put all things in subjection under his feet. So this is talking about the future. This is talking about Christ coming back and setting all things correct. And I want you to pay attention to the words of destroying Okay, so their future is set. We know what's going to happen to these evil things that we fight with. We know that's what the future holds for them. It is Christ destroying them. It is not Christ just putting them under authority. It is not Christ just disarming them. But it is their eventual destruction. Um, some people will argue with the destruction, whether they're going to be in torment for all eternity, or whether they're going to be literally destroyed. The, world, the word annihilated means to take them apart. We'll see. I don't know. Either way, they're gone. I don't have to worry about them. They no longer will corrupt all that is. Um, so Christ assumed authority as the right hand of Yahweh. He sits at the right hand. In the Old Testament, you hear about the right hand of God, the mighty right hand of God, seeing Christ as the literal figure of that right hand of God shows us that they're placing him in that power position. Christ is that. Um, also, with the resurrection and ascension, you have Christ receiving the nations as his inheritance. This is prophesied throughout the Old Testament. It's referenced many times in the New Testament. Um, it's the idea that those Gentile nations that were divorced from God back in Genesis 11... The, the nations that were not the children of Abraham, it's the idea that Christ brings them all back. Um, and you have the multiple references to Christ coming and bringing in the Gentiles. Um, and even Galatians, I threw in here just because it kind of it, 
It brings it home to the New Testament so people can see too. Uh, Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, this is throwing back to Genesis right to the beginning, and you all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The blessing came through Jesus for everyone. The powers were disarmed. They still exist, but they were disarmed. So, that's the plan. That's always been the plan. So when we think about those things, we need to think about those things in the correct order. I like to think of things sometimes in my mind as like an order and a chart. And we need to know that they're down here. We need to not regard them with such fear that it almost gives them honor. They're down here. Christ is up here. We're ruling with Christ. They are down here. Soon they will be no more. Um, Again, it talked about earlier, Christ is going to destroy them. Psalm 82 um, is a prophetic psalm that talks about this very subject too and gives us hope of the future. Uh, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And this is God speaking. Uh, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Uh, Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. Talking about the rulers. They walk about in darkness and all the foundations of the earth are shaken. And I said, you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And uh, they are not to the point where they have died like men, but they have definitely fallen. Um, And again, it's coming. That's our future. That's our hope. So we know they end up in the lake of fire. Again, we talked about eternal torment or annihilation. I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's where they're headed. They don't like to be reminded of this abyss. Uh, The demons, when they're talking with Jesus, they thought Jesus showed up too early. They make that comment to Jesus about, please don't send us into the abyss. Please don't send us there right now. Just send us here. We're not ready to go. Why are you so early type thing? Because they know. The writing's on the wall at this point. Um, When the day of the Lord... So we'll talk a little bit. We could spend more time on what is the day of the Lord because it gets mentioned throughout the whole Bible. Um, But the day of the Lord, and this is just stolen from Wikipedia because they did a pretty good job with it, uh, is a biblical term and theme used in both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, as in the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord has come. So it's that end times day of the Lord when everything hits the fan. And uh, I don't believe we've seen that yet. I think it's coming. I don't know when. could be a long time from now, but the day of the Lord is going to come. Um, so what, what kind of goes before the day of the Lord, and why does the day of the, Lord, day of the Lord matter? Well, the day of the Lord matters because it's when evil will be thrown about. It's going to be gone. So let's talk about the day of the Lord. 
The evil forces are not looking forward to the day of the Lord. Right? That's their fence. That's it. They've got till now, from now, from before, when Jesus put these events into place until the day of the Lord to do what they're going to do. So what are they trying to do? Uh, I think they're trying to create havoc and take a bunch of people with them. I think that that's it. I think they're trying to turn things and make it difficult for people to live. I think they try to make it difficult for people to receive the gospel. Um, And they're trying to get this all done before the day of the Lord. So let's kind of look at what brings about the day of the Lord. And I don't want to get into like the end times. That's not my kick. It's very confusing. I don't really know where I fall in all the end times stuff because it seems like everybody cheats to get where they want to go with that. So I don't know. But I can say we can kind of look at the day of the Lord and what precedes the day of the Lord. So uh, 2 Peter 3, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Well, we see a lot of that. So they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by the means of these, the world that then existence existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I think this is a very important thing to think about when we think about when is this day of the Lord coming. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there's a lot there. What I want to focus on is that the Lord is not slow. He wishes that none would perish. I think we're in a time, I think we need to help with this, right? It says that we are to hasten. We're waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So just kind of keep that in your mind. We're waiting for, we're hastening, none will perish. Let's look again. Romans 11. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. 
As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that they are shown mercy to you, that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. What I'd like to focus on, having read this whole portion, it's talking about Gentiles and Jews. And it's talking specifically up there. Um, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I'm not exactly sure we could study this out, what this partial hardening really is with the Jews. But I do want to point to this idea of the fullness of the Gentiles. Um, A lot of people will debate this. There's another thing we'll look at in the Bible, and they call it the time of the Gentiles. Um, The fullness of the Gentiles could be a fullness of a certain amount of time. People feel where the Gentiles are in charge of the world, which is what we're living in now. Or it's a... um, or it's just a time where, where it's a fullness, like there's a set number of people that need to be brought into the kingdom. People debate that. Um, it doesn't matter. What we can do is we can look at that idea of the fullness of the Gentiles, and we can know that there's work to be done there. That's, that's a calling. That's something we need to help with. Um, so we'll look at Luke 21, talking about this subject again, just so you know this isn't an isolated idea. Uh, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by enemies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are in the country enter it, for for these are days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the earth and wrath against its people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, And be led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So, let's pause here for a minute, because I think what Luke 21, 20 is talking about is the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming in 70 AD. 70 AD, the Romans had had enough. They were sick of all the Jewish insurrections. They were sick of having to deal with all of that, and they finally cracked down on Jerusalem. They took all the Jews, they spread them about, they killed, they, it, was, it was in the millions. Josephus writes that it was in the millions that were slaughtered, and they sent the rest into other nations and they destroyed the temple. So that happened in 70 AD, um, and I believe that that's, that's what this is talking about. I think that this was, but I think then where it goes is towards the future. So, Again, not trying to get into end times much, but knowing that they're now titling this, after this happens, they're titling this the times of the Gentiles. Um, And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding over what is coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when, you, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So again, I think that's, that's future. He's talking about that. This is going to take place in these times of the Gentiles. Why am I talking about all this end time stuff when I was trying to talk about demons? 
All right. The fullness of the Gentiles, from what we can see, leads us to the return, saving of quotations, all of Israel, that's talked about a couple different places, and that precedes the day of the Lord or happens with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when the judgment of evil into the fire takes place. We are in the battle until the end. That's the idea. We are fighting against wounded beasts. They know the fiery abyss is coming. They take out who they can. They resist those fighting for the kingdom of God. They hate our God, and they hate you. How can we do damage back? How can we bring them closer to that fiery abyss? This is how we take them closer to the fiery abyss. This is how we do damage. It has been coming back to this the whole time. Now, when the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. That's how you do it. You want the fullness of the Gentiles, we have to do something about this, right? How do we reach the fullness of the Gentiles? We have to follow the Great Commission. We have to make an impact. We need to see people saved. Spiritual warfare can be a lot of different things in people's mind. But let me tell you, I think you want to hit them, you want to hit them hard, spread the gospel. Bring people to Christ. Bring us closer to the fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles, they're done. They are. They're wounded beasts. They don't have what they used to. They fight. Spiritual warfare, I think the Great Commission is spiritual warfare. I think it will get us there closer. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, again, we've got to get that fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles can only come with the completion of the Great Commission. Evil is existing on faded time. We want to make a dent in the plans of evil, engage in the Great Commission. This is where we are going. Every lost person brought home is one more step towards the fire for the evil forces. I fully believe that. Not only that, but Jesus, I mean, for other reasons we need to see people receive the gospel. But I'm just highlighting today, on this day that they give over to evil forces and make a big deal about, this is what King Jesus wants. This is how we win We don't need to be scared to to spread the gospel. We don't need to be scared of the evil forces. They're going to fight. They're going to sputter. They're going to keep people from receiving Jesus Christ. And that's what they're doing. And I think they're using some of the same tricks they've always used. But I think they really hit us with ideology right now in the West. When we think about... We think about our culture when we think we don't go down out on the streets usually and just see the demonic, like sometimes they do in third world countries, second world countries, places that we're, we're not. What they try to do here is they just try to get you to buy into systems. Because if I see something on the street and I saw that on a regular basis and then my family's talking about it and people are talking about it, then there's a belief in this evil side. I think that's why you don't see it here. I think they just they smother us with ideology here. 
in America, and I think that's how they try to win. Now, they still exist here. There are still demons around us. I'm not saying that there's not. I'm just saying that there's only so many rulers and authorities designated back in the day. There's lots of these spirits of the Nephilim, these things that we call demons or unclean spirits wandering about, they're doing things. Jesus was swatting them like flies even before he died, resurrected, and sat at the right hand. So there's, like, there's things that I don't really worry about anymore when I understand this stuff. And I know that when, when my dad and I have gone on missions trips overseas, we've, we've, we've seen physical demonic. We don't really see that over here. And it just leads me to believe that they can just keep us blind without showing themselves. And I think that that's, that's the idea. I think they're trying to just keep us blind with ideology. So that's another reason why the gospel is important because the gospel is a breaker of worldviews. Okay, the gospel is a wedge. So you take something that people believe this is a worldview, whether it's, whether it's just a perfectly atheistic worldview, whether it's some kind of fanciful, weirded-out spirituality that they've got for their worldview. Either way, they're untruth. And the gospel of Christ is like a wedge, like when you're splitting wood yesterday with my dad. It's like that wood splitter. When it comes down, you start putting that pressure on, and pretty soon those worldviews crack. And that's what the gospel it is. Gospel is. It's, it's, it's a total enlightenment to the truth. And I think that you can do a lot of damage by just doing that. I don't think we need to find them and scream at them and tell them to go away. Sometimes you may have to do that, but I don't think that that's... I want people to realize that this, this is so important. This is so important for the lives of other people, but it's also so important in making keeping evil at bay. Does that make sense? That's where I wanted to go with this. I wanted to show that like the power is not there. They can't do the things that they used to do. They have some tricks. See through the tricks. Spread the gospel. That's why we're... It seems like we're always coming back to Great Commission. Everything leads us back to that. Like, that's just where God has us. And, uh, which makes sense, because that's what he left us with. So, on this day, where some people wig out and get scared and get crazy about things, or they give honor where honor is not due, let's think about honoring King Jesus and doing what he asks us to do which is this, the Great Commission. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done for us in the spiritual realm. We thank you for the things that you do for us in the physical realm. We thank you for everything you do. We thank you that you have the authority and you've given it to us, that you sit at the right hand of God and you have given us partaking in that authority with you. Lord, you wouldn't send us to do a job and not give us the tools. So we thank you for that authority. We thank you for Holy Spirit. We thank you for that spirit of Jesus that comes and indwells in us and gives us the power and the knowledge and the different things that it takes to spread the gospel, to enact your kingdom on earth. So Lord, as we go out about our day today, let us think about shining light everywhere that we go. Help us to realize those times when that gospel needs to proceed from our mouths. And Lord, as we're no longer scared of of these evil forces, let's not be scared of men. 
We need to be able to speak your truth and to speak it loudly when needed. So Lord, I just ask that you would help us with that. Your perfect love casts out all fear. And so we just ask for more of that perfect love when it comes to evangelizing and talking about you. Cast out that fear. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. King Jesus, forever on the throne, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.